Hello, welcome back. Shepherd the Sheep time. Uh, Gino and I are in studio. Uh, we are here to answer a couple different questions that have come up uh, through recent teaching of Romans and John and um, Gino's preaching in Galatians. And we're going to answer some questions like, how has ministry personally uh, impacted your preaching? Uh, talk a little bit about John 15. Uh, Gino had some questions based off sermons, uh, law and the gospel. Uh, we're also going to answer the question, why do we not address culture in the ministry, uh, which is a question that we do get. And then uh, maybe if we have time, we'll talk a little bit about um, how the three tiers flush out of ministry. So, Anthony, always thankful for your introduction. Let's get you on. He's a big part of the show. I feel like I don't <laughs> thank him enough for that. So yeah, I wonder if he listens. Yeah, I do. We got okay, he. He drives around <laughs> a little bit. I'm sure he does. Yeah. Well, anyway, Anthony, always thankful for your introduction and your outtake. Uh, it's a big part of the show, and so I want to give thanks to Anthony for that. We'll test him. If you listen to this episode, you get a million dollars. Yes, mi- million. Yeah, paid by Gino <laughs> and and Chris. Yep. Yeah. Hey, uh, I'm going to throw another wrench in the podcast. Um, do it. So we have these kind of like questions, like when we're, we're pre-discussing our podcast today, there's like these kind of questions that have come up during our different teaching. And like life is happening in the church, right? And so you got uh, one family's just taken on basically five foster kids. I'm not going to mention any names there. People, mm-hmm. but it's cool to hear that individuals in the church are reaching out privately to, the, to this family mm-hmm. and helping them out. And mm-hmm. so that's cool. Yep. Yeah. Like the, so... From from our chairs, Gino, um, we see things that other people don't see. Right. And some of them are like filled with anxiety, and then some of them are cool. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the cools. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another cool that uh, we said Sunday from the pulpit, but say it again, is Chris made chief. Yeah. So that Go was Chris. cool. Yep. Yeah, that was, uh, I was so, what a blessing to be a part of that ceremony. You did a great job on the music. Yeah. Star Spangled Banner. Yeah. You did good. Uh, yeah, that was probably the most nerve-wracking um, performance. I don't want to call it a performance, but no, I mean, you did like, good. yeah, man, that was. Well, it was cool to listen to you, even though I was behind you, um, because it, it like made me realize that you're doing this, but you kind of have to interpret that as you sing it. So you're putting your own flair on it. Yeah, I did some exegesis on the yeah. on the lyrics, uh, and that affects how you phrase things. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I noticed that. Yep. And you didn't stretch out the long note like they do in like ball game. Oh, which, which one was that? Oh, it's like towards the end. Is, is you know, it the very last note? Yeah. It's like that, like they stretch that out and you know, and everybody stands and cheers. And I was like, I actually liked the way you did it. So oh, it was really okay. cool. Good. Um, but, but the whole time, like um, the Lieutenant uh, or the captain who kind of gave this like appreciation speech of Chris um, while she was talking I was kind of like moved, like, man, this this lady has seen Chris's leadership. Mm-hmm. 
And her speech was Thanksgiving. Yeah. And I got to be honest, like there was a part of me that was like, see, what I love about this is Chris is the same guy at work as he is in the church. And it's interesting to me how, how I don't think some of those people are believers, Mm -hmm. how much they respected him. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's the first Timothy three, right? That like you, you, you elders should be respected outside of the church. Yeah, and it was like to me, it was like, yeah, that's that's exactly what an elder should do. Yeah, it's it. <laughs> uh, it was fun to hear all the good things, uh-huh. and also the uh, the the uniqueness in Chris's um, yeah. you know, uh, view or perception of time. Yeah, it, it's consistent everywhere he goes. Yeah, on um, the golf course, at church, yeah. <laughs> at, at work. <laughs> so one of the other chiefs. I, I said, I think we asked him at, at Chris's like dinner reception, like, Hey, so Chris and timeliness. And he was like, Oh gosh, Chris <laughs> is like, Oh yeah. Hold on guys. I gotta go back and get my phone. I gotta get my wallet. Like he yeah, was yeah. like, well, this is the problem, Michelle. You just need to set out his wallet, phone and keys in one little place so right. that he has to grab all three before he leaves the house. Yep. 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 Yeah. That's interesting. Like at some level, I think one of the first things you have to organize as a dude is where you put those three things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, it's my two knives. It's my multi-tool and my knife. And, th- and these are not defensive weapons, by the way. They're just tools. Mm-hmm. And um, Which I borrow all the time. Yeah. Well, Kyla <laughs> does too. She used to make fun of me. And then she quit after she asked for my multi-tool. Like on the sixth time, I was like, uh-huh. Yep. Now you quit making fun of me. And she did. So you got to like keep all that in one place so that when you're ready to go, you fill your pockets with what you need. You walk out the door prepared and ready to rumble. Yeah. yeah, you're the tool man. Yeah, exactly. See, I provide the strength. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I just tools. do the tools. I just need the yeah, I know. I know. It's yeah. amazing how that like that bottle opener on the multi-tool gets used for like opening boxes, packages. Like it oh, opens yeah. everything. Uh, to be honest with you, it All opens those Amazon more, packages? Yes. Man. It opens more packages than it does bottles. Yeah. Yeah. But And 99.9% of the bottles it opens are Topo Chico's. There you go. Because this is the way. So it is. Yeah. But it's really cool. Like, and that to me, that's like, because we are lights in a dark world. And one of the gifts God has given us is work and we should be a light in that place. Mm -hmm. So to see kind of even his guys stood up and gave these different criticisms and it was cool to hear because I was like, I recognize that one. I recognize that one. I recognize that one. Yep. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, Good job, Chris. Yeah. Good job. I'm proud of you, Chris. Yeah. Uh, His coin is good. His brother did a good job designing that. So shout out to his brother. So, It's good. All right. Well, uh, so we got some questions. Uh, Ramil, um, based off your preaching on um, Galatians, which I heard about Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the middle of the sermon while I was in Phoenix, (laughs) driving back, and I'm like, why is my phone going off the hook? And I look at this one line, and I kind of chuckle and go, I'm sure it made sense in context. (laughs) So I just like, I'm not even going to, I got to drive. I can't look at this. Yeah. And And, yeah. yeah. I morphed two metaphors into one. Well, yeah, I, I figured you probably were doing that impromptu too. It happens. Like when you're preaching, you, you don't, you know. No, you, I did that on purpose. It, oh, it was in my notes. Wow, it's in your notes. Yeah. Wow, look at that, you know. All right, well, I'm not going to rephrase it. Okay. Um, uh, in context, it made sense. Yeah, so, you just have to listen to it. Yeah, you do. Let's, let's get that to be the most popular uh, sermon ever. In, yes, <laughs> no, I'm, I, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. That, that does not bother me on any level. For the wrong reasons. All for the wrong reasons, yeah. Yeah, but Ramil... Uh, made a note. He said, you know, listening to, to your preaching and um, he said, it's, it's easy to see how 
the things that you do every week personally with people is coming into the sermons. Mm. Now, this is hard because I know when some people listen, they realize, hey, at some level, their life is a part of that. Mm-hmm. And we don't call out names and call out people, or and we we really don't even bring up specific details of situations. But it does start to like make you realize, you know, at some point you start to go, okay, wait a minute, I've had the same six conversations with six different people, and you you again from this chair you kind of start to learn the the who's who's closer together in the church. Mm-hmm. So you start to realize like these two families are closer together than these other two families, you know, and these other two families are closer to different people. And so you start to realize like, okay, there's like this, right? Like, I don't want to call them clicks because our people are good at um, inviting other people in They're Like, I I don't think we have a problem with clicks right now. Mm -hmm. Um, It could happen. It it happens probably in a lot of churches. So we try to fight against that. Um, We try to write always at the deacons and elders meetings, we remind people to be gregarious and open and inviting Um, but, but at some point, like you have the same six conversations with six different people and you realize this, this is something that probably needs to be addressed in the sermon. Mm -hmm. So, um, when, when Ramil's asking this question, the way I interpret that question is how, how has your personal, the things you're dealing with Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday, because sometimes this is a seven day a week job. Mm -hmm. Um, even though I fight for my day off, uh, I I really try to, to, to preserve that. And sometimes that leads to failures, but. It's all work to me. <laughs> I know you, you got to, that's well, the thing. You got to take a day off. Yeah. Well, what I mean by that, it's like, you know, there's an intentionality both in the day to day of pastoral ministry, but then you're really pastoring your family too. So it feels like, I mean, not that, you know, leading your family is a job, right? but it's the same thing you're trying to do with, with your family. I mean, enjoying them too. And yes. don't get me wrong. I enjoy our church as well. So yeah. it's like, that's part of the work and it's part of the, the fun of yeah. it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You get to enjoy people, but you also have to work with people. Yeah. I feel like people in our church are my actual friends. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's that's where it's helpful. Um, but but it does sometimes create, you know, I'm sure, you know, I hope it doesn't create consternation in everybody. What we've been actually trying to tell more people lately privately is, hey, you're actually not alone in this problem. Mm-hmm. And so then when we bring it up in the pulpit, in some ways we're trying to say like, hey, this is actually here's a problem that all of us go through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how has, how has ministry impacted your preaching? Like, like when you're thinking through your sermons and formulating those, how has it impacted application maybe? Yeah. Well, I see. I knew you were going to ask me first. Yeah, well, I was thinking sorry. about this and I can't, um, to be honest with you, it's not like I sit there preparing my, my sermons, um, you know, like necessarily thinking about people. If that yeah, makes that's sense. True. Yes, it does. Um, but I think your mind is is kind of shaped by the spirit throughout the week, so that when you approach the, when you start approaching the text, it, it, it the world opens up, and the 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 word becomes more broad even. And um, I, what I do find myself, um, and I heard this about about Spurgeon's sermons too. Like if you if you if you read some of uh, Spurgeon's earlier sermons, it's it's like a long list of like almost like you know, when you're uh, when you begin preaching, you you go through all the work, you go through the process of how to formulate a sermon. But then, when you look at his later sermons, they're more pointed, they're more like simple, they're more you know. And you wonder uh, what what happens in preachers as they go along. And I think it's it's life, it's people, it's ministry. And so the the preaching of the word becomes more pointed sometimes. Um, and the even even when you, it's not like you negate. Um, 
exegeting the text or expositing the text, it's it's that the 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 heart of the text comes out more versus you know not necessarily all the little details in the context. And I think you've yeah. you've said that too. Yep. Right? Do you, you know what yeah, I'm talking about? I do. Okay. Yeah. You don't. So I had to explain this to to somebody. When, when I'm thinking of a sermon, there's always this question in my mind, how then shall we live? And I, I actually made that my point uh, this last Sunday, the, la- the fourth point, which normally I don't do a fourth point, was, okay, how then shall we live? Mm-hmm. And I think that's that question is always in the back of your mind. But because you breathe this air, you end up addressing the things in the air you breathe. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the odor stinks and you kind of go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to address this stinky odor that I know six or seven people minimum are dealing with. I know I'm dealing, I know I've dealt with it or I'm dealing with it. Maybe one of my family members. So it's not like, it's not like you're like, okay, right now I'm thinking of, um, Zachary and I'm going to, and I'm preaching this cause I need Zachary to hear this. Right. Yeah. You're, you're here. Like, you're like, okay, no, I know this is a general problem. So you're not thinking of an individual. Mm-hmm. But you're also praying that the te- that the preaching would reach the individuals. Yeah, I think we're uh, as you work with people, you're exegeting people's hearts, um, yeah. and and you're peeling back those layers. And uh, at some level too, as I read the text, the New Testament, um, you don't see it as I, I, I. You tend to approach it a little bit more differently. Like they're real people. Like yeah. Paul's dealing. Paul's a real person dealing with real people with real problems, and they're all gospel problems. Yeah. And you see how the gospel's fleshed out there, and you're like, aha, it's the same. And you realize, oh my goodness, it's a deficiency in the gospel. So maybe that's what also changes. Like we grow in our understanding of the gospel and how it relates to every area of life. And and because we have to minister that same heart of the matter in every person's life, maybe in different ways, different contexts, different applications. Um, then you look at, you know, the Galatian context, or, you know, in your case, John and you know, and, and the story of Christ. And, and you see it's it's always the same heart issue, right, that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. You know, the heart is always the, the biggest problem that we're dealing with. Yeah. So we're always addressing the heart. Yeah, that's 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 good. I think um, one of the things that, that I've also realized is that your sermon can't impact. Your, there's a limit to your sermon too. Yes. And, and this is, I think, actually a rub with, with some people because some people are like, well, I'm looking for somebody that's relatable. And I get what they're saying. The, the problem is I don't necessarily know. If you can't even said What do you mean relatable? Like, yeah, like, like, oh, that sermon like really personally like spoke to my specific issue. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, and I think at some level it should be relatable because all of us are struggling with unbelief, idolatry, pride. Um, identity. Identity, yes. And, and so at some level, the gospel's answering that. What God did was he gave you a new identity. He crushed your idol. He released you from the shackles of sin. So your sermon is preaching what God does. Yep. Okay, so, but at some level, you, you can't hone a sermon to address every specific person in the body's specific needs. Mm-hmm. So this is one thing Brad, Brad and I chatted about before he put, before he went to be at the Lord, that a corporate sermon kind of tells the corporation, the corporate body, what to do. So a lot of my, my application and sermons are actually geared for what are we as a church supposed to be doing? Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, just to, to go through John, right? Like, okay, you've been united with Christ, so focus on the word. Well, what does that look like at the corporate level? Well, again, when you say focus on the word, yes, it's okay application to say, yeah, you should be reading your Bible, but 
for the corporate body, it's telling us, hey, we as a body need to respect the reading and preaching of the word and the singing of the word in corporate worship. Mm. Like this is a time to exalt God, but it's also a time to learn and to, to let my own worldviews be shattered and reformed. Right. And Luther, I was just reading something on Luther. Luther believed that um, the word of God, like he does a good job of reminding us that the word of God is the revelation about God. So it's not just that you're studying the X's and O's of the text, that you're studying that the, the text is telling us about who God is. Mm-hmm. And so he actually says when you're preaching the word, you're, you're putting Christ before people so that people are actually engaging the living Christ. Right. And that's why the word of God is active and living and sharper than a two-edged sword because the spirit, right? I'm going to talk about this this week in John 16. The spirit testifies and we testify. So there's actually a dual testimony. So when I share the gospel with somebody, the spirit is also testifying. Mm-hmm. So there, is, there are multiple witnesses testifying to this individual. Um, and then the God will save who he saves. So, but, but with that said, to, to put this succinctly in short, corporate sermons tell the corporate body what to do. Mm-hmm. So corporately, we're going to focus on the word. Corporately, we're going to pray together. Corporately, we are going to try to, we are going to encourage one another to follow what you believe, which means obey. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's why we're not going to excuse sin. That's why we're going to help you learn how to navigate sin, right? Okay. Hey, you're struggling with, um, this issue, well, hey, let's help you navigate that. And sometimes they're hard because sometimes it's like pornography and addiction that, that somebody's had for like 10 years. Um, you know, sometimes it's, you know, uh, innocuous. Sometimes they're, they're less hard, right? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, help me have, um, hey, how do I navigate this financial issue, mm-hmm. right? And it's like a one-time question. It's not necessarily even sin involved. They just want to, you know, or hey, um, I have this job opportunity and you know, Nantucket and I'm thinking about moving to Nantucket. Okay, cool. Well, um, but, but then when it comes to specificity, which is what some of us really want, like, Hey, you know, like when I'm done, like, it doesn't matter when you guys preach, I may be dealing with something personally. I'm looking for personal help. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's where the one another's come into play. And that, that's the second part of this is the one another's address individual wisdom. Right. So that's where I can go to somebody and be like, you know, hey, Isaiah, I got a legal question, which is weird, mm-hmm. but we have legal questions in the church, Yeah, you know, like, because things happen. It's like, uh, we're mandatory reporters. Like, what do we do here? You know, and we try to tell people in counseling, hey, just to let you know, we're mandatory reporters. If you tell us you just raped somebody, we have to tell that to the police. So, and yeah, anyway, <clears throat> we can talk about whether that's a real situation or not. Um, unfortunately, these are real life situations sometimes. So, um, right. But that's where the one another's come into play. Like, Hey, Gino, like man, my wife and I are at odds on this and you and I've had this conversation like, Hey, mm-hmm. I've, uh, you've helped me navigate Kyla many times. Mm-hmm. And, and that's for, and Kyla's benefited from that because it's like, Oh, now, now I see what you're saying. I see your point. Yeah. Okay. So when this happens, I just need to like realize and just, you know, I need to, to not try to control what I'm doing in the moment and mm-hmm. just instead serve her and realize this is this is this is beneficial for her so it's beneficial for me. Um and that's where that's where the one and others have really helped. Yeah. Yeah, cuz I mean so in that case, right? Sometimes like Kyle will call on her way home and I'm in the middle of like six thoughts and I'm just like, "Oh, this is the worst time." Mm-hmm. But that's the time she wants to share a lot. And so like, "Hey, you know what? I can put those six thought thoughts aside. I can have this conversation with her." Yeah. And I can pick those thoughts back up later. It's okay. Cool. 
Yeah. So you see what I mean? <laughs> yeah. This is good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's how preaching has impacted my life is, is that way. Like it's, um, w- one of the big things, and this, this is related to why do we don't address culture? How, the relationship between culture and ministry is one of the things I've learned is the social media problems are actually rarely the problems of the people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like what's going yeah. on in somebody's conference in Florida honestly is not. Yeah. We, we, we already have 90% of the same view at church, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So who are we really trying to convince is what you're saying? Yeah. Like well, our, and who's our audience? I yeah. Guess. And like, you know, a mom of, you know, like Jesse's problems, you know, teaching five kids she's not worried about this person's conference in florida that's got nothing to do with shepherding your kids right so like again right like you put and so it's kind of this like that's what that's the one thing that's taught me is like i'll hear people say oh this the this is the biggest problem the church is facing in you know 600 years and i'm like uh what like this that that's not the problem my people have my people all of us are struggling the same thing unbelief idolatry pride and remembering that our rest is truly in Christ. Right. Yeah. So. No, that's a, that's, that's a good point. I mean, like, you know, we struggle with very basic things like reconciliation. Yes. Forgiveness. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like we want to address these other things, but like we actually struggle with more, more simple. They're not simple. Actually, they're, they're the heart of, of, uh, of really many of our conflicts and, you know, to, to neglect that would be uh, neglecting our job. Yeah. Yes. Now, now I just thought of a question that we've been asked quite a bit recently. Um, and um, it kind of relates to what you just said. Okay. Okay. And it's, it's church discipline related. Okay. Um, so uh, because you just brought up this word reconciliation and honestly, I would say, that conflict, like, if you really want to know the biggest problems in the church, I think it's conflict resolution yeah. and learning how to re- learning how to forgive and reconcile. Oh yeah, yeah, those are the two big ones mm-hmm. that people. Some people are open enough to come talk to us about it, and some people are trying to hide it. But we know they're we. It's funny. Some things you just know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and nobody's trying to gossip to us, by the way. Like, right. this is people coming like, hey, I'm working with somebody. And you kind of just know. And you're like, okay, well, here. Like, here's, you know. And so you can't you can't just sweep issues under the rug. You got to deal with forgiveness. And you got to learn how to walk together. And so conflict resolution is a big one as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think and, that, and I think that's that's where it comes back to, or, or people might struggle with preaching because they're expecting to, the preaching to solve it from the pulpit. Yep. But no, no one's problems get solved that way. They, they might, it might uh, help. It might help start the process. Yeah. But reconciliation is is a longer process than just that one sermon. Yes. It, it requires work and it requires yeah. It requires wisdom. Someone yeah. to speak into your life sometimes, many times. Yes. Um. Yeah. But but what was your question? Well, okay. I'm gonna get to that question because one more comment. Like preaching is putting God in front of people. Mm-hmm. And Piper said this like this may be the only hour this week that people in your congregation think of the glory of God. Mm. So that's actually shaping my sermons a lot lately too, to think, no way I need to tell people what God did and, and what this means, like who God is based on this text. Yes. Okay. So that's becoming like, there is a part of us that needs to eat of who God is. 
Yes. And so, yeah, like even when you read your Bible, the point isn't that you read your Bible. The point is you just got a revelation of who Jesus, of who the triune God is. Even Abraham and how gracious God was to Abraham and also how the the gospel is the promises of God are the faithfulness of God to for our benefit and right. his glory. Right. And so, right, so you're trying to remind, there's a sense in which you're trying to remind people. Because at some point you can be like, like if you've walked with the Lord 10 years, at some point, almost every sermon you're like, I've heard this before. The, the reality is, though, your heart needs to actually hear it again. Like, and that that's the thing, like, I quit... I quit listening to other people preach, like when you and Ramil preach. I don't, or Chris, I don't really like sit there and go, let me take notes and criticize the sermon. Like there's a part of me that's like, no, I need to hear what is said, even if I could go preach Chris's sermon for him. Mm-hmm. I need to hear what he says because my heart needs to hear it. Mm-hmm. And so that changes even the way you listen to a sermon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there, there's something, the, the Spirit uses the preaching of the Word because that's how he kind of orchestrated um, orchestrated the, the corporate gathering um, so that, right, and I think that's a, such an important point, like making, it's not that we're making God great, he is great, but we're reminding people how great he is. Yes. And if you're going to walk by the Spirit throughout the week, that sense of the greatness of God needs to needs to be the foundation um, because he is authority, he is sovereign, he is king, and if you start by saying, oh, no, my problems are the biggest thing and I need to fix it, that you're, you're already turning, you're, you're putting the cart before the horse. No, it needs to start with who's, well, who is God? Mm-hmm. And so the, I, I think you're absolutely right in saying that, like, yes, we're, we're preaching the glory of God on Sunday. Um, and that's what Piper did, did great, you know? Yeah. Um, but we're being faithful, too, to the text at the same time because yeah. yeah. the text does demonstrate the glory of God in our faithfulness and in, in preaching it and expounding it, right? Yeah. And and to the person that's like, hey, I need wisdom, like that sermon didn't tell me what that did sermon didn't answer my question. Well, that's what the one another's are for. Mm-hmm. That's what the elders are for. That's what we're. That's what the church body is for. Is it, like you said, it starts with who is God, and based on the gospel, what? How do we respond to that? Mm-hmm. And that's where, like, when you guys were teaching through First Peter, it was it was this great, like, oh yeah, like we should be able to show how the gospel exemplifies living. Mm-hmm. And that even goes back to reconciliation that okay, God forgives people so I can forgive people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Based on my understanding of the text, based on my understanding of the gospel, I too have to be like God and forgive other people. Mm-hmm. Cause it, I mean, the, what the text actually warns you, if you can't forgive other people, you have every reason to doubt your salvation because you're probably not saved. And so that, that's a reality that some people are dug in and it's like, well, okay. And that's a reminder that the spirit also has to work. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, let's let's move on. Um, I don't know how long we spent on that. Um, so we even kind of answered how do you listen to a sermon, but, mm. and that's that's probably a future podcast topic because um, I, I I think that's probably worth um, a good. Exploring. Did we talk about that ever? I feel like we did. I think we did. Wasn't there a book that we expository uh, listening? Oh, that book by Ken Remy. I actually never read it, but. I think the thought. I think we addressed that that idea. Maybe yeah. I don't know. Maybe yeah. maybe we talked a little bit about it. But. Yeah, we've been doing we've been doing this for like three years now, so um, we forget. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, what is church discipline? What is church discipline? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so it's a process, first of all. Yep. But uh, at at the very basic level, it's training people, right? So 
that could be simple as, hey, brother, um, you might need to think about this differently. Um, and here's why. This actually says this action is sinful. Uh, th- therefore, you need to repent of it and, you know, walk this way instead. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Oh, well, th- guess yeah. what? That's church discipline right there. Yeah, yeah. And that can that, that's, that process can be, that step one can be done by anyone. Yep. And that could be done multiple times because we all need to learn. I think, I think when it, then it starts to get escalated from there, right? We have Matthew 18 to kind of guide that process. But it doesn't say in the scripture how long you stay in each step. Yeah. And that takes wisdom. Yeah. And what's the goal of church discipline? Um, you, you want to restore that person. Yeah. Uh, right. You want that person to be right with God and people. Yeah. Uh, so that's why reconciliation is important. That's why forgiveness is important. Um, understanding what they're repenting of is really um, walking, um, learning to walk in righteousness with God, walking in the spirit. Yeah. I think the central, yeah. In reality, step one is done all the time. When Correct. you preach the word, you're you're doing step one. Mm-hmm. Um, when you sit down and help somebody th- rethink what they're doing, that's step one. Yep. You know, when you sit down with your buddy who just became a Christian and your buddy's not feeling good about his relationship with his girlfriend, and you get into details of why, you're like, "Yeah, brother, because you're not you're you're treating this relationship like a marriage, mm-hmm. and trying to enjoy the benefits that are only meant to be enjoyed at the marital level." Well, the Bible actually has something to say about that. And then that person goes, Oh, I gotta break this thing off. Yes. Yeah, you do. And yeah. and right, not that you not that there might not be a future here, but yes, you gotta break this thing off because you're not, you know, you're not you're not acting in a in submission in a way that follows the gospel and what the text says. Like the text says marriage, you know, the marriage bed is to between husband and wife. So yeah, I mean and that that that, that is step one of church discipline. Mm-hmm. And honestly, 99% of the time, that's where it stops. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then step two is, right, so the goal of that is restoration. The goal of that is reconciling, restoration, and helping somebody repent. Mm-hmm. Okay. So step two is is a lack of repentance, mm-hmm. and that's when you bring in the second person. Yeah. Okay. So, but but the million-dollar question is, when do you bring in the second person? Hmm. That's uh, probably if... Uh, and this is again a wisdom issue, but I think for the most part, I would say you would bring in a second person if there is a lack of uh, like unwillingness to learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe maybe he's not hearing it from you. Maybe he needs to have a, a second person con- affirm what you're talking about. And usually, you want that person to be, you know, more mature believer, preferably leader, probably of some sort. Um, yes. Yeah, that would be my my understanding. Yeah, I think yeah, it's there's there's some wisdom here. Um, so one one friend said, you don't ever start. And by the way, when I say friend here, I mean he kind of Richard Vargas mentored us kind of early on and helped us with the church plan. Um, and he he actually said to me, you don't ever go to the next step until they've stiff armed the step you're on. Mm. And that's actually a really good way to think about it, because. Um, you know, if somebody's like, well, that's just your opinion, man, uh, and they stiff-arming it, well, at that point, you're actually kind of looking even for somebody else who's already witnessed this. So it's not necessarily that you bring a stranger that's unaware. Right. But there might be times where you need to bring it. So this is why wisdom's there. Right. And so as as another friend pointed out, uh, who's uh, Travis uh, Reconciled points out, like Matthew 18's a general guideline, but there can be curveballs in that. Mm-hmm. because it's not that every case has to look like that. Sometimes elders have to step in and say, brother, 
like you, you're not welcome back at all. And we're not, we're not going to step three. And again, wisdom kind of dictates that situation. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's always details involved in that because we've seen, we've rejected somebody with a Titus three for being divisive. We've taken other people to step four and we've unfortunately had to tell an individual, Hey, listen, based on these engagements and based on your attitude and approach to the body, you're just not welcome until you sit down and, and have a discussion with us. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think in all three of those cases, we sought outside perspective from people that weren't close to the event that would happily tell us you're out to lunch. And we had multiple people say, Hey, look, you guys are doing it the right way in this case. So even there, right, there's a sense in which you're trying to, because it's not that you're just, you want, you don't want to jettison people from the church. You want to work with people and you don't want to bulldoze over people because one of the fruit of the spirit is patience. Right. And patience means that, yes, I mean, gosh, for, 20 years of my Christian walk, I did not understand the value of human beings being made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if that's a disqualifying effect, then I got to go back and kill all my sermons up to that point. Mm. So that means everything up until about 2019 needs to go. Wow. Yeah. I know. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, you know, so the, anyway, there's, there's a lot there, but so church discipline is not about removing people. It's about helping people. And yeah. then when you bring the church in, the idea is, mm-hmm. is that you have, you know, hopefully this, let's say this person's got 10 friends in the church. Hopefully those 10 people are now saying, brother, something is going on here. Like you need to mm-hmm. repent. You need to, you need to seek reconciliation and they become involved in the ministry process. But the goal there is for them to evangelize this individual. Right. And for that individual to say, you know what, man, 10 of you, all have made biblical arguments. You know what? You're right. Lord, please forgive me. Yeah. You know, and, yeah, it, and, and yeah, hopefully that person submits, right? Yeah. Um, to, to, to the, the truth, Lord, to not the to truth. us. Yeah. To the yeah. truth of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think what people, uh, sometimes may, um, and I think this was me in my younger years too. Um, you look around the church and you see people maybe living in a compromised way, Yep. but you don't realize that there's ministry happening. Yes. And so you're like, well, this church doesn't do church discipline or this church doesn't prioritize. Um, what do you say to that person? Yeah. So when that person comes to me, is like, hey, I'm, I'm seeing this in these other people's lives. You need to discipline them out. In my mind, I'm always like, okay, if you had a problem yourself and you and I were talking about your problem, would you want me to expose the details of this problem to somebody else? Mm. And I guarantee you every time I go, no, it's just between you and me. Right. Mm-hmm. So you know what? Something's going on here behind closed doors. And you know what? Uh, If they want to tell you, they can tell you. But I'm not going to tell you anything. Mm -hmm. Because really, it's not your business right now. Mm -hmm. It'll be your business if it comes to step three. Right. You know, now, if you have concerns and have seen something, and you're asking how you can minister to that, okay, hey, I can answer those questions. But I'm not going to start giving you details from our conversation. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, you know, I, I don't know a situation. Oh, you know what? I see Tommy. He's always angry. There's no Tommy, by the way, that I'm thinking of. He's always angry, and I'm just shocked you haven't disciplined him out of the church yet. Um, and I, so I might say, like, okay, look, Gino, like, okay, you've observed Tommy has an anger problem. Yeah. Have you talked to Tommy about it? Well, no, I haven't. Well, why not? Why don't you Galatians 6 this? Like, hey, brother, I've noticed you get angry with your wife really easily, and you say little, like, snide comments that put her down. You know, well, why don't you bring it up? Hey, man, is there something I can help you with? You know, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to like, I'm going to gather information that you've seen and encourage you to respond biblically to that individual. Yeah. 
rather than being like, oh yeah, they're, they're almost on step three. Well, look, when it's time to tell you the details, then we'll go to step three. But if we're working with somebody and I can't tell you how many times I'm like, okay, look, I think we're gonna have to go to step two or step three with this individual. And then some kind of like repentance happens and breaks through and you're like, you know what? I know that that's not a leap forward. That person took a step forward that was two millimeters wide, but you know what? That's a step forward. And okay, we can keep working with this individual. Yeah. I think sometimes people think that church discipline is, they look at it as an approach to, they don't know this, but they, they unintentionally use it as a way to clean the outside of the cup. Yes. And if you do it that way, you might conform a, a, a group of, a body of believers to conform to a certain behavior. But if you're actually not working with the heart, then you haven't really changed them. Yeah. You've only changed the believer and made them, uh, you know, at some level legalist. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you can, you can use church discipline in a way to manipulate people, the guilt and threat of publicly broadcasting your sin. Mm-hmm. So you better do what I want you to do. The, the problem is, yes, you may get a change in actions for a while, mm-hmm. but you haven't addressed the heart. So at some point that rule, their, their heart is going to want what their heart wants so much that they're going to just break the rule and do what they want to do. Whereas if you take the approach you're taking, like now you actually start to work with people. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's timely. It, it takes time. It is. And, and you know, um, it's, it's more, it's more than just like, Hey, you know, if you, if you don't do this, we're going to do this. It's more like, Hey, maybe, you know, maybe you're not a believer. Maybe yeah. you need to actually like rethink your faith. Like, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's the issue of, are you really believing? Are you habitually believing and trusting? Cause if you're not, then Maybe that's actually the problem. Yeah. Maybe membership is, is, is something that you're not part of actually. Yeah. So for, you know, that's the approach more now that my mind has evolved to versus using it more like a rod. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. The, when you remove them, you're telling them, Hey, listen, because of your lack of repentance, we don't think you actually have faith in Jesus Christ. And membership is for believers. Therefore, we are at we are taking you off the membership role. Mm-hmm. We are still going to evangelize the gospel. Yeah. So if they yeah. still if they still came in every Sunday, great. For, in some case, some cases you would say no, you, you're not welcome back. And there's reasons for that. That's a whole other issue. Um, but for the most part, like if they came back on Sunday, you would hope members would be like, oh, Tommy's here. Yeah. We know Tommy has an anger issue, but you know what? Praise God, Tommy's here. He's still hearing the gospel. Maybe, maybe, Lord, please this week let let Tommy give his life to Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think the 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 invitation is inclusive, right? Yeah. The invitation to believe is inclusive to all people. Right? Yes. But then membership is exclusive. Yes. To those who believe. Yes. Yeah. And the membership part is a part that I think gets that's tends to not be in the equation of people that criticize church. It's church way church discipline. It's, they, way. it's like, well, cause they'll say, well, when are you going to do church discipline? Uh, they're not a member. Oh, what's that got to do anything? Uh, well, the fact that they haven't got their membership, we don't know if they're a believer. Mm-hmm. So they're coming in every Sunday, hearing the gospel and you have an opportunity to minister to them. You don't even have to go out in the world. They're here. Just minister to them. Yep. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that was uh, 12 minutes on that one. So um, <laughs> we'll, we'll move on to, okay. The law and obedience. Uh, because going through Romans, um, right, definitely this reality that the law doesn't save you, that adherence to the law doesn't save you. You're not under the law. That's from Galatians and Romans and uh, Acts 15. You know, the Gentiles 
the the Jerusalem council's like, well, listen, they're not under the law, but they still need to live a holy life. Um, so the relationship between law and obedience, John 15 preached, you know, like, okay, you're indwelling with God. You, you have these three focuses that you're to live in the word, you're to live in prayer, and you're to obey God. So then the question then comes up then, okay, well, what what is the purpose of the law? If we're not under law, then are you saying, like, I think some people, when they, when they hear that said, they are, like, Romans 6, like, so we can do whatever we want. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, that, that legalism, that law-type thinking was instrumental in helping you realize you're a sinful person mm-hmm. and helping you realize you are under the wrath of God. But it led you to the grace of God and so the solution is grace and mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation and humility and love. That's how God issues the 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 um, the solution to the problem. So then the question then be like, well, okay, but what do I do with the law? Mm. Am I supposed to change my my weekly my my weekly my weekly eating habits so that they're kosher according to the Old Testament law? And mm. the answer is no. That's right. not like yeah. it's okay that you had bacon. Like in fact silly if you don't eat bacon <laughs> right but if i mean at the same token if somebody's like i just my conscience is clearing bacon then fine don't eat bacon mm-hmm. somebody's like i think gluten's sinful and i can't eat it okay don't eat don't eat gluten but don't don't run around and tell the whole church you're in sin for eating gluten mm-hmm. if you don't like us drinking coffee that's fine but coffee is not a, i i'm not addicted to coffee so i just love the taste of it mm-hmm. um so if you don't like it that's fine you don't have to drink it but so what do you do with the law yeah yeah wow that's such a Loaded question, Jason. <laughs> well, <laughs> right. uh, yeah. There's actually an easy answer, though. Okay. Um, but we'll take your answer. So, uh, in Second um, Timothy three sixteen, all Scripture is God is in God breathed. It is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Mm. Um, okay. So what that means is you're not under the law, but right. what is the law? Yeah. The law is a reflection of the holiness of God. Right. So there's a sense in which when I read the law now, I'm not trying to like, okay, let me create a checklist of things I gotta do. Can you define for our people when you say when you're using the word is it capital L law? Yeah, capital L law, Mosaic law. begins in uh, Exodus when Moses is given the Ten Commandments and now and all those statutes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we emphasize the Ten Commandments. Reformed theology distinguishes between the, the Ten Commandments and the other the other commandments. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Jesus summarizes the Ten Commandments, when he summarizes the law, he summarizes love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting is to the person that's thinking about all these 6,844 different commandments, God's, Jesus simplifies it. Listen, love God, love your neighbor. And then it behooves us to say, okay, well, what does it mean to love? Well, that's the million-dollar question, and it should look like the gospel, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so you should want what's better for people. You should be – and what's better for people is, is a good relationship between them and Jesus, Jesus Christ. So sometimes that's evangelism. Sometimes that's helping them think about a wisdom issue with their finances. Sometimes it's helping them with their relationship with their spouse. Sometimes it's helping them be better employees at work. Like, dude, you're a trashy employee. You need to you – need to, straighten up be on time like why well, have integrity like yes you sometimes you need to work overtime yes sometimes you you need to during a busy season not demand your rights of only 40 hours but say you know what the company needs me 80 hours these three weeks so for these next three weeks it's 80 hours you know so right all that um but 
the law is like, okay, teaching. So there's a teaching element to it. When I study the law, um, which is again, starts in Exodus and the 10 commandments plus all of those statues, um, reading that then lets me see the glory of God and reveals a lot about God's character. Yeah. But it's not exhaustive because even within the law, he says, right, there are some things, the secrets of the Lord belong to the Lord, right? And so what we realize is the transcendent God has told us what we need to hear, not necessarily everything we want to hear. And that's a yeah. big distinction. Um, and that, anyway, there's problems on that one too. Um, but with that said, I can read the law and learn about Jesus, learn about the triune God. I can learn about Jesus Christ. I can learn about the character and nature and the holiness of God. Mm-hmm. And and my faith in God should produce an ethics that's in line with the law. Yes. Right? Okay, so I'm not going to go cheat on my wife, one, because it's unloving to my wife and it'll destroy my wife, but two, also, like, God has clearly said this relationship you have with your wife is unique and, and the things that you do with her are only meant for her in some ways. Yeah. But there are some ways I love my wife that is going to be the same way I love you and my kids and an unbeliever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the way I've been thinking about the law recently, especially just thinking about Galatians 3 or 4, um, and for some reason the word the law is a guide just kind of sparked something in my thinking like, yeah, it is a guide because it was a theocratic law for a group of people for a certain time that taught them, well, that intended to teach them to, to look for the Messiah, um, to look for Christ so that when he came, they would see him. And they turned... They, they somehow took that law and missed the principle of the law, which, right, the, the, the principle of the Mosaic law and the principle of the, of the law, the spirit of the, the, the law of the spirit of Christ is really the same principle, love God and love your neighbor. That's why Jesus was able to summarize that. But that theocratic law was a, the law of the land. Um, it, it governed a people. Uh, it governed the way of life. It governed the rituals. It governed the ethics. And... Um, uh, but it didn't change the principle, right? God loved them through that law by keeping them separate for a specific purpose. Uh, but translating into the New Testament, now um, Christ lived under the law. Um, but in the New Covenant, we have a different law. Uh, it's not. It's different in the sense that it's not meant to govern. Um, it's not meant to govern a country. This this law can govern a people, no matter where they are. So you can live in Russia, you can live in China, you can live in the United States and live by the law of Christ, yeah. which really is like a lens of love. And it's understanding, but it's understanding what that love is. And it, it, is, it does prioritize who God is, his principles, his ways, his ethics, and then also translates that into how to love the neighbor. So, um, yeah, I think understanding that is helpful. But it is a guide. It, it was a guide for the people for a time. But when that guide was done, they had they then and it, it the, the fulfillment of the law, which is Christ, came. They don't they no longer needed that law to govern them as a as a country. Yeah, because they had the Holy Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit, and you're free. Yeah, you just described Galatians three nineteen. Why the law was added because of transgression. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in a way, it defines holiness and transgression. But then um, he goes down into Galatians. Um, 323. And by the way, it says obedience to the law doesn't save you. Mm-hmm. Okay. The law had been given. If the law had been given that ifs important, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would be based on law. 
But instead, Scripture shuts up everyone under sin so that the promise by the faith in Christ might be given. So mm-hmm. that's what you're talking about. And then later he says, the law became a tutor. And that's what you said. It's an educator. It was mm-hmm. training us to look for Christ. So that now when Christ dies, the law actually even explains the cross to us. Mm-hmm. Okay, Christ is the the guilt offering propitiation for my sins. Amen. Yeah. And so the law instructs me and actually teaches me how to... Um, interpret his death on the cross. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, and, but again, so when we say you're not in the law, what we're not saying is holiness doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But then again, what it, I mean, truly when you're talking to a believer, I've never met a believer that's like, Oh, I love Jesus Christ and do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that fear is in us. Oh, what if somebody thinks that? But the reality is that's a boogeyman. Yeah. There, there probably is somebody out there that thinks like that, but that person doesn't understand the gospel. Right. But when I meet true people who truly love Christ and know Christ and you say, Hey, do you want to live a holy life? Absolutely. Mm. You know, and why? Well, because I love God. None of them are saying, Oh, because I need to earn my salvation. Right. You know? And it's like, yeah. Uh, so anyway, all that said, yeah, I agree with you. Why the law? That's a good answer. Uh, right. And again, uh, I also think in first Timothy, um, Paul says, don't wrangle about the law. Oh yeah. And I, I do think, that there is something in us that the law um, that wants to fight over it. And I think what Paul was saying was to slow down, like maybe be a little more gracious. So, cause again, there's the, the reform view would have a tripartite view of the law, mm-hmm. a moral, civil and ceremonial. And so they would say the moral law is still in effect. The civil and ceremonial are gone. And at some level they're recognizing that the law does communicate the character and nature of God. And that's why I, that's when people say, do you believe it? I say, no, but there's parts of it that I, that I can, I can land my plane on the same runway they do Mm -hmm. because yeah, it does communicate, but we're not, we're not a Christian nation now. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're, we're in fact, we're told in Philippians that we're citizens of another world. So even there, right. So in the church, like you just said, you can be in Russia, you know, Zimbabwe, yeah. um, Iraq, and you're still going to live a godly life, but you're not trying to necessarily set up a kingdom, right? That's post-mill. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, um, okay. Well, now this kind of takes us into another one, uh, culture and ministry. So I, every now and then I see some, uh, it goes like viral where some guys like, if your pastor is not preaching against wokeism and it's not preaching against abortion and not preaching against the democratic party, like then he's not faithful. And like, we got to fight culture. And, and to be fair, I was, I was once a, we got to fight culture mentality. Yeah. Uh, I left that mentality. Uh, and I, so now our podcast early on, we said, Hey, we want to talk about things in the church and Jesus Christ. Yeah. So we said early on, we're not going to chase hashtags on Twitter. We're not going to chase hashtags here. We're not going to like, you know, when racism was a big discussion, I don't think we talked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not I that we, we don't. talked about racism, but like, yeah, not in the way that it was framed. Yes. Because we talked about um, uh, that there was racism in the New Testament church. I think yes. you brought that up at one podcast. Yes. And Hebrews. Yes. Yes. Okay. It has been brought up, but we didn't like okay, here there's this group right. of people that believe this and, oh, we got to stand yeah. against them. And like, you know, so um, we didn't we didn't take that approach. Mm-hmm. We didn't take what I call the more discernment ministry approach. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and so first of all, let me say this. It's not that we don't care. Mm-hmm. Okay. Again, go back to the first question. What's impacted your preaching? 
It's that literally most of the time when I read these and then I go have conversations with people in the church, I go, oh, these are two different worlds. Mm -hmm. So we are to shepherd the flock of God, first Peter among us. Okay. So, but in terms of, let me ask the question, uh, is the church to fight culture? Is the church to fight culture? And I think when you ask that question, you're talking about the culture of the society that's among us. Yes. Um, Yes, but not, but in the way that Christ fought culture. Yes, which is yeah, yeah. Which is what? Yeah, which is which is really the gospel, um, because yeah. uh, and even you know. So sometimes I was thinking, well, maybe is there a place? Is there a place to where you know? Let's say you're on social media and you have a broader audience. Is there a place for that? So maybe, maybe. Um, you know, may, maybe maybe there's some, but I think like you still have to get to the gospel. Um, and if you're not addressing the core issue, right? Uh, because if you just if you just did gospel and and you flesh it out, it will address those things. But if you start from outside in, which is the approach of many many out there, I don't think it's as helpful as people think. So for me, it's really the approach. It's it's an outside in approach versus an inside gospel out yeah. approach. I, yeah, I kind of agree. Yeah, because the, I mean the culture is a problem. But yeah. okay, now how do we? It's really how do we walk among the culture rather like and 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 you know we're you know the the idea of the mustard seed just um, uh, brought new light or I, like the like yeah my thoughts on the mustard seed just brought new light because you think about the 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 tiny mustard seed uh, and how influential that tiny mustard seed can be grows into a large bush right and I just thought wow that's the gospel. Um, and I don't know if I'm using that. <laughs> I didn't. Right. Never, I never preached that section, but right. but uh, but there's something about that 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 uh, you know, it's not a it's not like an outside in approach. It's a tiny seed that actually you plant in people, you nurture, you water, and you let the spirit grow it, and that is what changes from the outside in. Like, yeah. You know. So practically, to to preach against culture means starting your sermon process with trying to figure out first of all what culture is saying. Second, organizing your sermon around that. The third, then address it and bring it up. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now what I'm not doing is sitting down on Monday and looking at the next text. Mm -hmm. I'm not exegeting the text for what the text is trying to say, and I'm not bringing the word of God on Sunday and continuing the study of John. Right. So that's my big complaint. Is Is there ever an elephant in a room culture-wise, that you feel may need to be addressed? Like, it, it, what, would it be, like, if it was affecting yeah. our thinking as that a church? I think, that I think. So the culture you are addressing is the culture of your church. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's say let's say you had to go in and, and uh, let's say you somebody took over the pastorate of a church, and the church is dying, and it's like, okay, we've got to, to, to use the word that's, that's being thrown out, reinvigorate or, you know, the church here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, some of those, sometimes people say, Oh, we're, we're really replanting it. Um, okay. In that situation, yeah, you're going to start to address that church's culture mm-hmm. through the preaching of the word. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now the way I see the church affecting the culture. So again, if I stand up and, and preach a Sunday, uh, an anti-abortion sermon, everyone in the room, I'm guessing 99% of the room already agrees that, that abortion is sinful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who's listening? Our culture. Sunday morning, the people there, that's who's listening. Right. Okay. So, because again, by not addressing the culture, are you saying you don't care? 
No, of course not. But I want to ask this this question. So two things. I've observed one that when we when people who are fighting the culture tend to start drawing lines in the sand and belittling those on the outside of their line. Mm-hmm. But John 15 tells us, hey, you're to love these people. You're actually to go out and make disciples of all the nations, which means that if you're drawing a line in the sand fighting them, then you're actually not ministering the gospel to them. Right. So our job is to prepare individuals to go out and make disciples of the nations, and we work together as a church. So that's how we impact culture. Mm -hmm. By you going into work Monday morning and walking, living your life in a holy manner, walking in a manner worthy of the gospel to which you've been called, you are now starting to impact your culture. Mm -hmm. Chris by being the leader he is as a chief, is impacting the Air Force as a chief. Right. Yeah, and so you see what I'm saying? So that's how I think we're actually meant to impact culture, Mm -hmm. is through individuals doing ministry to other individuals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that that, um, we try to avoid and we should avoid is that the culture warriors, that the approach tends to be ugly. Yes. And I think that's, that's, that's... at that point, you're, you're really not representing Christ, right? Because, um, and maybe in their mind they are. Maybe that's a good question to answer. Why, you know, if you're belittling people, um, why is that not Christ-like? Because it, they, yeah. they could pull out passages where, you know, maybe Christ uh, approached it might have, in their mind, Christ approached it this way, you know, um, when he was harsh to Pharisees, for example, or turned over tables, like, is, isn't that what a cultural warrior is? Yes. Okay. Um, there's, so in Luke, right, there's the story of um, the 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 man that cries out, you know, um, Lord, forgive me. You know, I'm, I'm a man, right? He's the publican? The publican. Okay. Yeah. So um, I don't have my paper Bible in front of me. That's the problem right now. Okay. So um, Luke 18, 9. Um, he told the parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Mm-hmm. That's a huge, that's a big deal. Right. Okay. So unfortunately, a lot of the culture warriors assume they're righteous mm. and they view others with contempt. Mm. And that's the problem with a lot of culture warriors that I see. Gotcha. Is there is a contempt for unbelievers. The problem then comes down to if you have a contempt and you're disrespectful to other people, you're not in a position to serve them the gospel. Mm. You view yourself as right. And it's almost like, think about, like if you actually won them, they would be twice the sons of hell as you. Right. Okay, so because Jesus goes on to say, right, two men go into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stands and was praying, God, I thank you that I'm not like those other people. Well, that's the culture warrior approach. Mm-hmm. Swindlers, unjust, those those adulterers, those woke, you know, the the abortionists, the feminists, the Democrats. Um, you know, I do what I'm supposed to do. But the tax collector standing there going, you know, unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, was beating his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Mm-hmm. We are to go out and we are to find the people that are beating their breast, aware of their sinfulness, and say, Hey, there's actually rest in Jesus Christ for this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if we have contempt on other people, you're not in the disposition to serve them. And that like that parable shows the Pharisees were not in a disposition to serve these people. They were, look at me, look at how great I am. God, thank you that I'm not like them. Now, I don't want to be contempt in my own heart. I'm also realizing, hey, I don't want to have contempt on them. That's a wrong view of ministry. Right. 
your view of ministry, your ministry is to go serve those people and say, Hey, look, there's actually like, there's rest in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that's, hope in Christ. Oh yeah. That's, that's so, I, I love that. I love that you brought, brought up the publican and, and the, the, the Pharisee. Yeah. yeah. The Pharisee. Yeah. Um, that's so true. The heart of the Pharisee was a, just, he didn't care for people. He wasn't kind. Um, his approach was just very harsh, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the people that followed them were the same way, and sometimes worse. Yeah, well, that's what Jesus says. Your disciples are twice the sons of hell. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so now, my understanding of the Gospels, the culture Jesus lived in, the Pharisees were the culture warriors. Right. Okay, so Jesus is in a unholy land. Okay, now let's unpack that. There are people who are defiling the temple. There are people not following God. There are people who are idolaters. There are sodomites. There are homosexuals. There are every problem under the sun. There are racists. There are um, taxationist theft people. There are submit to the government. There are don't drink, don't smoke, don't The religious zealots. Yes, don't go with people who do. Right? There are all of those people there. Yeah. Okay. And then when you go read the Gospels, what does Jesus do? Is he preaching against the culture of the Roman government? Is he preaching against this Greco-Alexandrian-influenced culture? And the answer is no. He preaches the gospel. Mm-hmm. And as people get saved, they conform to the image of Christ and actually become countercultural. Mm-hmm. And this is where I think we do impact culture. Is we, like, we watch God change people. And we watched her ethics change. Rosaria Butterfield, right? Her ethics changed. Mm-hmm. Why? Because God changed her heart. And so that's how you approach the culture. So again, that's why I still tell people, well, like we don't have a transvestite. Look, if a transvestite came into our church, great. Let's preach the gospel. Let's help this person know there's rest in Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, and because this person's suffering. But you might have a mom and a dad with six kids walk in and they're a homeschool. They're, you know, they vote the way you want them to vote. They're, you know, they're countercultural and their faith is in their legalism. Right. They need the gospel too. And so you see what I'm saying? Like yeah. that w- what the culture war is in danger of doing is, hey, you need to look like this and then you're okay. Yeah. There's a, there's, would you say that there's a lack of compassion there? And oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because um, yeah, I wonder why, like what are, what, what is the motivation to approach it that way? Yeah, uh, maybe their view of holiness is off, or well, and yeah. To be fair, I do think some of it's a right concern, right? Like I do think, like if I could start to, like I can definitely put names to this, um, and I do think if I were, if we could have them on right now and talk to them, that their motivation is right. Like mm-hmm. I do think at some level they're like, I want to stand for the truth. Um, I want, you know, I think their motivation, I think their tactics are wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that that's where, and and to be interesting, like some of the Pharisees did get saved. And, and even in Acts 15, they did not respond and say, hey, these, these Jewish Pharisee, post-Pharisees asking for the Gentiles to follow the law. They didn't say their motives are off. Right. Okay, so it is right. I think it's possible that they were like, hey, guys, some of their motives are right, just wrongfully informed on how to go about doing it. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think we have to keep reminding people, ministry is serving people to understand Christ. Right. And, and that starts to help. 
because a believer, I can share a lot more with an unbeliever. Hey, look, what's the gospel? Mm-hmm. What's the hope of Jesus Christ? You know, and that, that flushes out even in some counseling. Okay, look, I know this person is persecuting you. However, let's not demonize him or her. Let's remember that this person is broken. And it's interesting, right? Because it sucks to be persecuted. Right. It's like when you're on the back end of somebody's harsh behavior, it sucks. And first of all, I would say, by the way, if you're, if like always do something to be physically safe, like don't, that's, I'm not saying that a wife or a husband needs to remain under a physically abusive relationship. Um, right. So that let's throw that out of the discussion and say, that's another discussion instead. Like, um, Hey, this person needs to realize, like there's a party that's got to realize, Hey, I'm being treated this way because of unbelief and brokenness too. Mm-hmm. And, Okay, I found mercy. God help save this person, mm-hmm. and that, that's why even Flip First uh, Peter three talks about the wife under an, an unbelieving husband. How are you going to win him? You're going to win him with love and your behavior. Mm-hmm. So you see what I'm saying? Like even oh, yeah. there, like yeah. like he's kind of reminding her or, or people in that situation, like, hey, look, you're the way you treat your spouse is going to be instrumental in communicating the gospel. Amen. Yeah, yeah. I think people forget that. Yeah, J- Jesus did turn over tables. But he went to the cross. Yeah. Uh, he he was willing to uh, take the shame, the, the pain, right, and went through that entire embarrassing, shameful, like you know, walk to that cross. Was nailed there, naked, like spat on everything, and um, you know that's a very humble approach. He yeah. was willing to suffer uh, for the sake uh, for the sake of the salvation of the lost. Yeah. And that's who exactly what we're trying to serve. And if we're going to imitate Christ, I mean, I think the, the cross is definitely like the main instrument, right? Because it represents grace and mercy and forgiveness. Yeah. Well, and there's a big distinction there too. Mm-hmm. The difference between Christ and me is he's the judge. I'm not. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So he's sinless. God in the flesh. I'm not. Mm-hmm. So, because yeah. I'll hear that like, well, but Christ yeah. overturned. Yeah. Yes, he does. Yeah. And yes, he will judge sinners. Absolutely. However, I'm not the judge. Right. I'm an advocate. And I got to remember, right, in the court in the courtroom, the attorneys don't tell the judge how to judge the case. They're advocates for their the defendant or their prosecution. And so we're here as a as a intermediary testifying about the work of God and the reality of of what you can have by turning to God. Amen. Okay. Yeah. All right, so that's uh that's that's why I don't spend a lot of time on trying to address every cultural issue. I think there are bigger fish to fry. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess, I, think we, I guess do. we do, yes. but we do it. We do it where our pro- approach is different and it yes. might be frustrating for some people. It <laughs> probably, I slam dunk. No, it is frustrating for some people. Um, I'm just telling you having been personally, having once been a cultural warrior, I don't want to go back. Right. So um, if we got to be fired, then fire us, but I don't want to go back. Amen. I would rather stick with the preach the gospel, love people, trust the fruit of the spirit is amazing at testifying of the goodness of yeah. God. I think pe- people really want us to be pastors, not cultural yes. lawyers. Yeah, you, <laughs> it's you a know different what? thing. You're, you, you, dude, you're right. Like the ones that want us to be cultural warriors, when, when, when it hits the fan in their life, that's when they actually want us to be pastors. Mm. That's when they don't want us to be culture warriors. Right. And as Ramil points out, like if you have a culture warrior mentality in your church, what, what people do is they come into church and they put on hypocrisy because now they can't share what's going on in their life because now they're afraid 
of what would happen to him. And then what happens is the problem's like a fissure, right? It just, the crack continues to grow. And at some point it's almost irreparable. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of blow. Okay. Well, we spent an hour on that. We did not talk about the three tiers of ministry. I knew we we're not going to get to that. So. You did. You <laughs> called it. Um, but, you know, because um, people ask, you know, like, hey, um, we recognize that, you know, you, you, you seem to be like willing for people to disagree on some things. So I'm just going to answer it short, quickly. Okay. Um, when we say the three tiers, we're saying believers are people who are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. That So people who believe in Jesus Christ are saved. Mm-hmm. People who acknowledge and accept the Trinity are saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, people that, um, right, the, and the third level there is the third one in tier one is they want to walk in holiness. Right. Okay, and that, so what that combats is the modalist who doesn't see the Trinity is not saved. Mm-hmm. The person that thinks they're saved by works or some other way is not saved. And the person that's like, that is the Roman six person. Oh, I can, I can be the true antinomian. Yeah. The true antinomian. I can be gay and a Christian at the same time and like walk with homosexuality and be a, you know, like have, have 16 boyfriends. Okay. No, no, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, but even if they clean up and they, that, that individual marries a woman, that doesn't mean he's right with Christ. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then other people say, you know, they're here like, well, it's okay if you disagree on seven days of creation. Well, for some people, that's like, oh, you can't disagree on that. You're not a Christian. Well, no, it's okay. Like, we can disagree on some things of the text. Now, what, what some people think we're saying is be apathetic. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is be gracious. Be patient. Like, not everybody studies everything at the same time. So, when it comes to the doctrine of sanctification, my guess is if I had the entire church write down the doctrine of justification, that we would have 80% like-mindedness. Mm-hmm. Well, if I said write out the definition of sanctification, my guess is we would have 1% of like-mindedness. Mm. So you see what I'm saying? Like right there, that, that indicates, hey, that means that our people don't all think alike and that they've not all studied the things at the same time. So let's be gracious. Let's be patient. Like, yes, the truth is the truth. Yes, teach the truth. Continue to help people understand who God is. Continue to help people understand who the Holy Spirit is, what he does. Continue to help people understand Right. But, but there's this also part, it's like, okay, you know what? My, my, my charismatic brother has faith in Christ. And though I don't think tongues are real the way he does, that doesn't mean he's not saved. Right. Okay. So, and to be fair in our church, we have Lutherans, um, Reformed Baptists, we have some Arminians and, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to, we tell them we're going to continue to teach the truth as it's found in scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not expecting you to be hundred percent like-minded. However, I would encourage people be willing to rethink your positions, right? I'll be willing to rethink mine. Mm-hmm. You'd be willing to rethink yours. Yeah. That's, if, that's, yeah. that's helpful. Yeah. 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 More could be said. I, I, but oh, I don't want to yes. dig, I don't want to dig us into a black hole there. I know. Well, there's this whole article that I found. Yeah. I can't, I we can't should, mention we it. should, we should do a podcast on it though. I know. Well, I had problems with it. There were things I didn't like about the article because the way he set up the discussion is like, eh, you well, kinda... not the article, just the. Just I know, the, uh... I know. Well, did we yeah. talk about? I thought we talked about the three tiers once. Somebody we said just, he listened we, to our three tiers and it was helpful. Yeah, we yeah. mentioned it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. Then I guess we've exhausted. It is. Um, just in case you're knowing, it's it's almost fourteen hundred. Yep. And so uh, for two, it's two o'clock for abnormal people. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I talk, Isla. Uh, it's fourteen hundred. She's like in normal people time. That's fourteen hundred. So, all right. Well, we'll let Anthony close this. Thanks.